1: And uh, we're hopping on the pod because we have to talk about this coaching carousel and just all the crazy things that have been going on with it. It has made its way out West, obviously with the hiring of Lincoln Riley at USC, but going just North of Eugene, there's a new head man in Seattle, Washington Huskies, uh, announcing the hiring of Fresno State head coach, Kalen DeBoer. And uh, on the show today, I have Husky Maven publisher, Dane um covering the Washington Huskies, obviously up there in Seattle and Dan, boy, a lot has happened since since we last uh, hopped on the podcast. You were on the podcast to preview the Oregon-Washington game. Jimmy Lake got suspended after that. Donovan got fired. And it's, how are you doing in Seattle? Because so much has happened.
2: Well, it's it's been stunning. And I, I think I remember when you and I sat down before, I mentioned that Jimmy Lake was just a little bit over his head at times as a as a coach making some bad decisions. And little did I know he was going to, take it all the way out and, and cost himself his career. Um, again, very stunning because he's a likable guy. He's got a nice football background, but he made some some bad moves, not only that day against Oregon, but also his recruiting isn't very good, um, and they're going to need to r- rush to catch up with that. And And he made some really bad hires because, you know, after the Oregon game, they fired the offensive coordinator within hours and sent him packing John Donovan. So uh, there's much to fix in Seattle, but I think it's fixable. I think it's probably good for the uh, Pac-12 uh, for for Oregon and everybody if if they fix these football programs in Seattle and at USC. I mean, those are two of the the trademark programs with Oregon, and 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 gotta fix Stanford too. I mean, that's been a, a big time program in this. Uh, Pac-12. And it, it went, you know, tailed off to what, three and nine this year. So three out of your four major programs uh, having a real tough year with Oregon are only salvation for, you know, national rankings and, and playoff consideration. So it's it's time to fix this. And with a new commissioner, maybe we'll, maybe we'll turn this thing into something a little more viable.
1: That's a point that I definitely want to circle back around to, Dan. You know, it really feels like the Pac-12 is just investing and, in, you know, trying to turn things around and, and make it a you know, a, a better, more attractive place to to play football and to watch football. You know, that's a huge part of it, too, with, uh, you know, all the media rights and, and drumming up buzz there. But I think a great question to to start this one off with, you know, obviously you've been covering the Huskies for, you know, quite some time and have seen, uh, you know, coaches come and go. What, what are your, you know, initial reactions to this hire? What do you make of it? Is it a good move for the Huskies?
2: Yeah, you know, Washington is really never going to make a big splash hire. I mean – you know, even going back to Don James, he was this Mac coach that nobody heard of in the fourth choice. And then, you know, they've elevated a lot of assistant coaches like uh, Jimmy Lake and Jim Lambright and Keith Gilbertson. All were elevated and all were fired. Um, Steve Sarkashian was hired off the USC staff as an offensive coordinator. So they're not going to do what USC did. But. Um, and you know, Oregon really hasn't done that either. They've promoted a lot of in-house candidates that have worked out really well, but they haven't gone out and made a super big splash, or they tried to and, and it didn't work out. Uh, you know, so I think this one fits Washington. Uh, the guy was genuine. Um, you know, we we'd eat him up if he was came in and he he just, you know, kind of put on a show like maybe New Heisel or Sarkisian did. I mean, you know, we criticize those guys when they came in. They're a little cocky and kind of entertainment type coaches. And and this one, you know, fits the model more. He's kind of straightforward. He's offensive minded, which has been a, a huge problem at Washington for two years now. And, and you know, I I'll say this lightly, he kind of reminds me a little bit of your guy, uh, Cristobal, only a little more even subdued than, than him, but straightforward coach like him, kind of all business. And probably like Cristobal works at Oregon, I think uh, Deboer will will give him a chance here to work out at Washington.
1: Yeah, it'll it'll hopefully be a, a step in the right direction for for Washington. You know, you talk about the offensive struggles that they've had. I, I think that was one of the things that that kind of struck me when I first saw the hire. Just given that so much of the identity around Washington has been on the defensive side of the ball, you look at some of the positions that they've uh, had more success with. Obviously, sending a lot of defensive backs to the NFL, so that'll be kind of an interesting, uh, kind of change to, to track here, or maybe it won't be that much of a change and they'll still be able to, you know, be solid on offense. But since you were, you know, obviously covering all of the, all the transition period, you know, the higher that obviously that's been the the grind for you over these past 24, 48 hours, the higher, um, you know, what, what did you kind of make of uh make of him, you know, just to kind of staying on what your last point was, um, you know, getting to, see him at the press conference and kind of, uh, you know, his, his introductory message to the team and, you know, what he's trying to get going there.
2: Well, I think him coming in with his offensive background will probably stem the the flow of portal transfers. There's going to be some for sure, no matter who's in charge, whether Lake was still there, there'd be people, you know, moving on because that's the, the nature of college football today. But I think with him coming in, promising to ratchet it up a little bit, especially offensively, because it was really, it was really mundane. It was really predictable. And, and, you know, if you think about it, Washington has had two back to back horrible uh, offensive coordinators, Bush Hamden, who's now at Missouri was the other one that Lake did not retain. And so that's four years of really bad offensive coordinators and low production. And that tends to make quarterbacks go elsewhere to play uh, like Jake Hayner. And uh, now he comes in and, and he promises to liven things up both on both sides of the ball, I don't think they were that great defensively at Fresno State, but he's got a different talent level, you know, at Washington to play with. Um, So so I think there's a little bit of excitement because he's he's more maybe serious minded. Uh, You know, Jimmy, Jimmy, like like I said, I like him, but, you know, he he was kind of cocky and kind of. uh, Well, you heard some of the things he said during Oregon week. And um, you won't hear that out of this guy, uh, Kalen DeBoer. And and so I think he's already come in and generated respect. He's going to have to win to keep that going. But um, I, I think it was probably the best hire they could make here in Seattle with somebody a little bit more low-key, uh, not a lot of baggage, not a lot of, you know, have to go pay through the roof for somebody that, you know, was in the SEC, like Dan Mullen at Florida or Bobby Stoops that was at Oklahoma. Um so so this probably fits uh we'll see what he does we'll see he hasn't announced any assistant coaches yet even though i think most of his guys from fresno state will follow him to seattle um i i just think that he's met with the players and from looking at some of the social media reaction i think they're happy with the hire and i've heard that from some sources too you know the the guys like jimmy but i think sometimes they look at him cross-eyed like you know you're you're, you're, saying stuff that, you know, maybe we don't totally buy into. So, so we'll see, we'll, we'll see We're, I always like to temper it. And, you know, when you hire a new coach, everybody, the athletic director and the fan base, they all say, Oh, this is the greatest guy we ever got. And, and, you know, that's what they do in, in NFL, the NFL drafting and in college recruiting, all these guys are great. And then all of a sudden they're not, um, you know, somebody, some, some people work out, some don't. So we'll give him a fair shot here. I think he's a good hire for Washington. Um, I, I think uh, if he can put a lot of points up on the board, it'll it'll get excitement in Husky Stadium again.
1: Dan, you you kind of alluded to one of my next questions, which was going to be you know kind of what the staffing picture was looking like. But sounds like we're going to have to wait for for more info to come on that one, as far as you know, building his staff, who he'll maybe retain or maybe maybe that's a good question. Do you think that there's anybody on the staff worth retaining, or might he might retain, or do you think it's just going to be a complete clean house and bring in all any? any of his people.
2: You know what I would guess. And and I, I researched this out with all of the other coaching changes at Washington, going back to Don James, who kept who. And, you know, actually Don James came in and kept three guys, but Star- Sarkeesian came in and kept no one. And um, Chris Peterson came in and kept uh, Jordan Pow Pow as a tight end coach, which Lake fired. And the guy went, is at Arizona now, but with this staff, I think the one guy that, uh, Bore out. of consider keeping, even though I noticed there's uh, some mention that he, he's probably bringing a defensive backs coach. But at Washington, they have two of those. But Will Harris is, you know, the, the main guy that's been uh, creating all of these NFL-bound, uh, polishing all these NFL-bound Huskies from for the secondary, uh, taking over for Lake. So, so he would be one. I think they should keep. He's he's very energetic. I've got video of him coming onto the field before the Arizona state game kind of trying to rev up the troops. And, and I, I think they should keep at least one coach for continuity sake. So it's not a complete, you know, shock to the system of all the players of everything being new. And, and, and the other candidate would be a a Kaika Malloy, who has got a Polynesian recruiting connection for them. He does it really well. He brought in Zion, Tupuola, Fatui into the program and, and, um, So if, if one of those two guys, I think will will be on the staff, uh, when everything's said and done, I don't think both of them will be there though.
1: All right. We got some, some names to follow there as we, uh, you know, make our way through the, the end of the regular season transition into postseason. Um, you know, I think that maybe we'll see some of these moves happen a little bit more swiftly in Seattle seeing that their season is over since they're not going to a, a bowl game. Um, I think that would stand to reason. Um, one of the other questions that I had for you, Dan, you talked a little bit earlier about kind of some of the reactions that you've been seeing on social media and engaging player reactions. What's the the mood of the fan base? Cause I feel like they've been through uh, obviously a lot this season uh, with Lake getting fired. Obviously the team wasn't, uh, you know, a, as uh, good as they wanted him to be. Apple cup was pretty brutal. Um, just, just take us inside there. You know, what, what's it like with the fan base at the end of the season and with this hire?
2: Well, it's interesting. I wrote a story. Um, that I said, this might be the most disappointing Husky team ever, not, not the worst team because we've had 0 and 12 and 1 and 10 in Seattle in in, in the last two decades. But I think this one had such high expectations for it and just fell flat on its face and couldn't score and couldn't beat anybody, you know, of any significance. Uh, I think it was the most disappointing team. And, and it, you know, you could tell by, how empty the stadium was most of the year. I think there was a pretty good crowd for the Oregon game, but a lot of duck fans came and same thing at the apple cup, but a lot of Cougar fans, but boy, some of those stadium uh, capacities were were half full, you know, middle of the season. And uh, that's concerning. I mean, you might see a new athletic director after something like that happens. So um, I think the fan base is cautious because Jimmy Lake fed everybody uh, you know, a whole bill of goods coming out of spring practice that this was going to be a great football team and, and uh, they were going to make up for unfinished business last year was his big motto, and, and uh, it didn't happen. And so I think they'll give this guy a chance. I, think, I know some people maybe had wished for maybe the bigger splash hire that didn't happen, but that's never happened. And, you know, fans always want uh, the ultimate, uh, you know, feel-good reaction. So um, I, I think they're pleased that there's been changes made. That, that would be the worst-case scenario is if uh, there was just still no big hope that things would turn around. And I mean mean that if uh, – I think that if Jimmy Lake had been retained, uh, he would have had to fire both coordinators here this offseason and would have left everything in complete upheaval uh, with recruits and, and everyone else. I think it's better now that he has a head coach that's probably bringing both his coordinators with him and that's it's from the West Coast that can recruit, you know, this region. And um, I think there's more hope than there is probably dissatisfaction right now with the Husky fan base.
1: I like that you mentioned the the West Coast ties. I think obviously that's such a big key for I think really any coach that that comes into the Pac-12 when when you just look at the the geography and, and especially with with Washington, I feel like you know you were saying that the recruiting hasn't been uh you know hasn't been up to snuff. Um, but just getting a guy that has West Coast ties serves as a good starting point for. Uh, a lot of Pac-12 schools, you know, you look at Oregon over here in Eugene on my end, you know, they're obviously taking things really national. And that's not to say Washington hasn't done that. I know that they uh, go into Hawaii every now and then. That's a big state for them. Um, And then Arizona is a state that's uh, starting to put out more prospects. So I I think the West Coast ties are are definitely good. And then just, um, you talked about Fresno State and how they, they, they fared this year, you know, they were looking pretty solid, you know, they definitely had some they were riding some highs. You talk about beating UCLA um, and then, you know, they played, they got played really close, but uh, with UNLV that I think shocked a lot of people, but yeah, I mean the, the Mountain West, even though they don't have, you know, uh, a ton of powerhouse, you know, teams, I guess, obviously like some of these, uh, you know, big programs um, you look at schools like Boise state, Fresno state and San Diego state, you know, those are some of the more solid programs that we see come out of the Mountain West year after year.
2: Well they do fill up our schedules in the Pac-12. You know the Boise States and Fresno State, San Diego States, they all end up playing the Ducks and the Huskies and USC and so, you know, they're the they're like the little step brother or whatever and uh, they have great players, but they just don't have as many as the Pac-12 schools do and and it's easy to say take a Kalen DeBoer and take him out of Fresno State, one of the, you know, the main Market teams in in the in the Mountain West and, and convince them to come to Seattle because it's a it's a definite step up to come to any one of these Pac-12 programs.
1: And you you mentioned earlier just how you know the fan base is you know being cautious about it because they don't want to you know get get too optimistic after what happened with Lake is kind of what it seemed like you were getting at Dan. Um, but when you look at this big picture, you know how great Washington was recently and, you know, kind of where they're at now you bring in a coach that, uh, isn't necessarily a splash hire, but I think is definitely deserving of some, some excitement just based off of what he's done. He has a pretty solid resume. My question for you, what is a, a rebuild kind of look like for, for DeBoer in Seattle? You know, what are you going to be tackling or prioritizing some of those areas?
2: Well, um, he, his famous words, uh, yesterday were, this is not a rebuild. I'm reloading this team. And, and he does have, um, I will tell you, he had 47. there were 47 guys that started this last football season at Washington. And, and you know, that's like four, four players a position. And he, they started seven safeties. They started three guys at left guard. Um, they started three different quarterbacks, or no, just two. I'm sorry, but they played four different quarterbacks. And um, so there's there's manpower. I think what he needs to fix, because it looks like he's going to have a quarterback, and that was a major issue coming in because Heward's not ready, and Morris is damaged goods and and maybe peaked in his career for all we know, but he needs to build up his defensive line and his offensive line. Uh, he's got starters coming back, but they, uh, especially the defensive linemen didn't do the job. They, they gave up a huge amount of yards from the opening game to the last game. And he's got to fix that somehow because that's really unhusky. Like, I mean, you know, the best defensive lineman in the NFL is Vita Vea at, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and he's straight out of the Washington program. And and Greg Gaines plays at uh, with the Los Angeles Rams and had a nice game against the Tampa Bay Bucks this last weekend. So, I mean, there's a there's a history, there's a, a tradition of great defensive linemen. The greatest defensive lineman in the history of the school, is Steve Entman back 30 years ago, who was, uh, you know won everything, you know, all, all American honors, number one draft pick in the entire draft and and it's fallen off uh, in the last two years. They, they just haven't had a, a big force up on the front line and it's been deadly for them. It's been the difference between winning and losing. So um, DeBoer needs to find a, a big monster up front or, or maybe a couple of them or else he's going to have trouble on defense, just like uh, Jimmy Lake did. And, and then, You know, the team kind of lost kind of its reputation as being a real physical football team. And that, again, pertains to both lines. And so he has a lot of starters coming back on the offensive line, but those guys got to be a little bit more um, physical, meaner, uh, open some holes. So I would say when he comes in, he'll bring in his offense. He's got plenty of skill players. He's still got plenty of secondary players. He's got some good linebackers. Um, But his linemen need to have a quick fix or an upgrade of some kind.
1: I'm right there with you. I think that he, that uh, Washington's recruited the skill positions pretty well uh, of late. Uh, you know, look at guys like uh, Jalen McMillan and Romo Dunze. Uh, those are some big names that uh, Oregon was in the running for themselves, um, you know, not too long ago when those guys were preps coming out of high school. Um, so I, I like that we're getting a little bit of a, a focus as far as, you know, kind of where you go about tackling this, this roster. But I, I like that you mentioned the quarterback. I think that's, you know, some of the fresher news. Uh, Fresno State quarterback Jake Hainer, entering the transfer transfer portal uh, on Tuesday. Um, you know, all signs are kind of pointing towards uh, him. You know, following DeBoer to Seattle. Um, just give me some uh, early thoughts here, Dan. You know, just what you think uh, he could potentially bring to to that program, and and how big it is for DeBoer to to get his guy. You know, to go into this thing.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate Just go to Indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
2: If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit CarShield.com slash audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at CarShield.com slash audio. That's CarShield.com slash audio. Well, for those who have, who have forgotten down in Eugene, Jay, uh, Jake Hainer was a Husky uh, for two years. And he got beat out, and he decided to leave, and he transferred to Fresno State. Well, he—you'll find him as probably one of the most unique football players uh, in some time in college football, as a guy that transferred out of a program and now he's transferring back to it. I can't remember anybody ever doing that. He's—he's uh, he's honed his game at Fresno State into somebody to be afraid of. UCLA got lit up by him. You guys saw him down in Otzen Stadium. He—you know—he's fairly solid, fairly unflappable. I, I was looking at the passing national passion passing stats this morning. He's ranked number eight behind the guy from Alabama and the guy from Ohio state. There's six, seven, and eight. And the clo- closest PAC 12 quarterback, as far as passing yardage is uh, the, the Washington state quarterback, Delora. He's number 40. So there's, there's a huge gap wow. between number eight, and number 40. So that's kind of the instant upgrade you get with Jake Haner, and, and they know him. He knows the program. Uh you know, I don't know if he'll know any of the coaches, but he'll, all the teammates, uh, a lot of his teammates will still be there. He'll, maybe he'll get his locker back, his number back. I don't know, but it's kind of weird, but, but he'll come and be comfortable. He won't have to, you know, get adjusted to the new city, the new program, the new th- thing he's been there before. So um, he's a proven quarterback with a Washington tie. And so it just makes for a huge, interesting story and and a, and a big step forward for this coach to kind of, you know, make a statement. I mean, I don't think he uh, really stole Hainer away from Fresno state as much as they stole him away from Washington. But I think Hainer just said, if you're leaving coach, I'm going with you. Cause I thought, initially thought I thought after the press conference uh, we had with DeBoer yesterday, that Hainer might be thinking of going to the NFL and, and, you know, just passing on his final season, but it looks like he's going to try and up his, uh, you know, his value a little more and, and play a lot, maybe prove to the Washington fans that, Hey, I should have been playing here in 2019 instead of Jacob Eason.
1: That's a, that's a great, you know, uh, little, little tidbit, you know, kind of a way to, to look at this and, you know, maybe what his mindset is. I mean, obviously we're not going to know until he goes on the record and things become official and all that. Um, but he's, he's, I think he's just, uh, you know, an instant upgrade over, over, you know, what you have on the roster, um, you know, who's to say that Sam Heward couldn't get to that level eventually, but obviously with, with, uh, the limited playing time that he saw as a freshman, um, you know, getting, getting put in against, uh, Washington state and just what was a really brutal game for them. Um, that obviously isn't the best situation for anybody. You know, I think back to when Justin Herbert got thrown in, that was against Washington and the, the 70, 21 beat down in, in 16. So, uh, I think it's definitely a good situation for, for Hayner as far as, you know, just, like you said, uh, if he does end up going to Washington, just having having those factors in place, that comfort with the city. I didn't even think about that really until you brought it up. Just how you know smooth that transition could be, and he's just a gamer. I mean, I came. I think I came home from. Uh, I can't remember who Oregon was playing, but I came home when that. I think they were playing Stony Brook, if I remember, because it was a rainy game. I came home from that game and my housemates were watching the Fresno state UCLA game. And they were just telling me, Max, like, you've got to get in here and look at this. Like Jake Hayner is just bawling out and he's like falling apart. Cause he's taking all these hits, but he doesn't care. And I think I saw him throw a touchdown and he was just like celebrating like just completely planted on the ground, like just exhausted. So he's it's a he's UCLA be...
2: game. It sounds like it.
1: Yeah. 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 Um, so I, he, I think he'll probably be a fan favorite. I mean, it's, it's hard not to root for the guy. Um, just after seeing the the gutty performances that he put on throughout the entire year. I know uh, one of my writers, Dylan Ruben King, he, he also does some stuff with the transfer portal. He's a, a huge fan of Jake Hainer. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think that that's certainly a, a big point for, for Washington, um, you know, co- coming out of this uh, news and transitioning to DeBoer.
2: Well, Max, consider this quarterback room, if you would, you got Hainer coming in, who's thrown for, um, I, I don't have the numbers memorized. I know he threw 32 touchdown passes, and I think it was like 4,500 yards or 3,500 yards, something like that. And then you've got the guy that's been the reject, uh, Dylan Morris, started you know 11 games, and he threw for like 2,800 yards and another 14 touchdowns. And he's got two years of starting experience. And then you've got the five-star quarterback behind him that's undeveloped but got a start against the Cougars. So you got three starting quarterbacks there with uh, I think maybe something like 5,800 yards and 42 touchdown passes just off this season alone. So, um, you know, if these guys are miracle workers with quarterbacks, imagine if they get Hainer off to the NFL, they develop Heward into the quarterback that he's supposedly supposed to be and that his dad and his uncle were at Washington. And then if they fix Dylan Morris somewhat so that he could play as either a secondary quarterback or a backup quarterback or, or whatever, um, you know, this might become a quarterback destination if these guys show that they can turn these all these different type of players into something. So, well, that'll be something interesting to watch for.
1: Yeah, that that's a good way to look at it. I mean, we'll see. I, I almost think, you know, if, if Dylan Morris would transfer after, you know, if, if Hayner ends up coming in and then having Heward there, and obviously seeing that they went there. Uh, you know went with uh heward to start that, that last game of the season it's just uh i mean it's just more craziness right you know the coaching carousel is gonna directly Im- impact you know recruiting and and the well, transfer portal
2: yeah well you know what everybody loses sight of with Dylan Morris he's a redshirt freshman this year I mean I don't know how many redshirt freshmen have started at Washington before I think it was Jake Browning who was a true freshman and maybe Jake Locker started as a as a redshirt freshman but normally quarterbacks you know, aren't very good their first couple of years, trying to deal with the speed of it all and all the nuances of a college offense. And Dylan Morris is a two-year starter just coming off his redshirt freshman season. So I know everybody wants to throw him away in this city, but I still think, you know, he grew up this huge Husky fan in the suburbs of Seattle. If parents had season tickets, I don't think he's going to go to the transfer portal. I think he's just going to try and do everything he can to either back up, Hayner, beat him out and then back up Heward or, or just, you know, see what he can do to resurrect his career at Washington. So I'm, you know, I'm not saying I'm a huge Dylan Morris uh, proponent, but I just think to completely downgrade him, I think would be silly because um, he's got two years of starting under his belt at a very young, young age.
1: That's a great point. Yeah. seeing that he was able to get that experience and, uh but while still having, you know, uh, some, some room to grow. So I appreciate that insight. I think one of the, the big picture questions that I was also excited to ask you, Dan, you know, after making this move, obviously with, with Washington people are looking forward to next year and, you know, maybe people are making their predictions or, you know, just having some early thoughts. My question for you, what, what does a successful season look like next year in 2022? You know, now that we have uh, you know, the new coach at Washington.
2: Well, they went four on eight this year um some of us were thinking they were going to go about nine and three um i I would think if they won eight football games next year people would be happy with that anything over that uh, i haven't looked at the schedule real closely i don't think usc and lincoln riley are on it um michigan state does come into seattle to play but i think if they won um eight or nine games people would think they're on the right track um i think anything less than that they'd go oh you know, Peterson and Sarkeesian, when they came in, one went seven and six right off the bat. And people were a little bit, you know, going, ah, this isn't exactly what we hoped for with a new coach. But it took a while. It takes a while to build a program. At least it takes a while in Seattle. So I, I, th- I say give them eight or nine wins next year. People will be happy with that. And, and there's so many young guys on the roster that, that they could build off that and maybe eventually become a, a contender again. But it, it, it's going to take a little while.
1: Michigan State that that'll be an interesting matchup to watch with with uh I think their season has gone much better than people expected probably they'd even say that in East Lansing um you know under Mel Tucker I think that um they've had one of the more positive seasons that kind of I don't want to say came out of nowhere because obviously Tucker has a a good coaching background and um you know has proven that he he can win but obviously things haven't been the best for him uh, as a head coach you know talking about his brief tenure at Colorado and then uh, year 1 at Michigan State wasn't wasn't uh the best but that'll be a cool game to watch with Michigan State uh coming to Seattle. I have the Husky schedule up on my on my other screen here. Um some of the other games that kind of stick out. Um you look at uh they have to come to Eugene next year so that'll obviously be pretty big. Um going to UCLA and they got a uh, they got Stanford at home so yeah, I th- I think that that's uh that's a cool little look ahead to uh next year, you know, 8 or 9 wins. I don't know if I would personally say that, but obviously there's a lot of time as far as, you know, what they're capable of doing, but there's a lot of time. A lot's going to happen between now and when uh, they have that first game of the season next uh, year in September.
2: Well, I didn't say they're going to have eight or nine wins. I just said, no, I know. I know. That's what would be needed to make the fans happy.
1: (laughs) Sure. Sure. No, I got you. I got you. But uh, Dan kind of winding down here. Um, Wanted to zoom out a little bit. Obviously, we have two big, major head coaching hires in the Pac-12 with Lincoln Riley at, at SC, and then um, Kaylin DeBoer at, at Washington. You know, what what do you make of all these huge moves? Obviously, you're laser focused on Seattle, but just wanted to get your thoughts on some of the the national you know hires that we've seen, and then just talk about the Pac-12 here as we wind up wind down.
2: Well, you know, we've been like the fifth Power Five conference out of the five. And so we get a new commissioner who says he's going to make football his priority in, in fixing it and advancing it, making it more, you know, of a player on the national scene. Cause we don't go to that college football playoff, except for Oregon a couple of times and Washington. Once USC's never been there. Uh, Stanford's never been there. Um, I, I think these are all good signs, good signals that are being sent out by, by stealing a, a Lincoln Riley out of Oklahoma. Can you imagine that? Um, and, 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 you know, USC is kind of the, the barometer of the Pac-12. When it's down, the league's down. When it's up, the league has a chance to do things like national championships. And I think if you get USC back up as a, as a, a flagship uh, franchise again, I think the Oregons and the Washingtons will have to get better, and, and, and maybe they'll have more opportunities to get into that college football playoff, especially if they enlarge it. I mean, then we'll have teams in there. and and, and But I think the conference as a whole – is is, is making some real positive steps. We'll see what kind of TV rights they, you know, they, they land, but you know, that we've got an alliance right now with the big 10 and the ACC, which was critical to, you know, keep the SEC from running the whole show. Um, So I think there's some progress being made with a new commissioner. Um, There's some new hires here that, that should uh, excite people in Los Angeles and at least maybe settle things down in Seattle. I think it, that all bodes well for the rest of the conference, for the Oregons and the Arizona States. Uh, Stanford needs to fix its program. It's been very good for most of the last decade, but it just has bottomed out now two years in a row. David Shaw is still a great football coach. He, he just needs to fix it. He's, he's had a little blip. But I think overall, I think the conference is on an upward trend, and I think that's, that's good for you and me and everyone else. That it, it, you know, it, it lends to the interest in, in what we do and what they do on the field. And um, I just think it's time to quit taking all these shots that it doesn't matter, it doesn't count. We can take all your recruits out of the West Coast and 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 just kind of you know ignore you guys when it comes to playoff time. I think it's time to 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 join in and be a player, and that's the conference in general.
1: A lot of really good points there, Dan. I think that I I like the the one just about making the the conference look more appealing. You know, you talk about a little more parity with. With uh, USC hopefully turning things around, you know, obviously the the conference has really just you know ride ride and ride ridden and died uh, with Oregon, you know them being the the main power here over these past couple years, um, and they've kind of been the representative of the conference. And I think another thing that's really good about hopefully having Washington and USC being stronger teams is you look at that playoff conversation, just the the quality wins that you can hopefully get if those teams are better. That doesn't put as much pressure on you to, to win those those non-conference games. Obviously, you want to win those anytime you schedule them. But I think for Oregon this year, if you just look at their season with them being the best hope for the Pac-12 until they lost to Utah, that Ohio State win was obviously huge. And then I feel like, you know, it felt like no matter how well they played to a degree, those those wins were to a degree just written off because they were the ones in the Pac 12, because they were coming against teams that just quite frankly weren't very good. Um, you just look at the conference and how, how weak it's been, uh, as a whole. So just that parody is going to help raise the profile of the PAC 12. And then you talk about that trend with the recruits staying out West. I think every, every West coast recruit that Mario Cristobal can bring to Oregon now is going to be that much more meaningful because they're going to have Lincoln Riley going for them. And then, um, yeah, that'll, that'll just be good for football overall. So I think some Oregon fans have, have been, um, you know, a little, Overreactionary. I don't want to say all of them have been, obviously, because that's not the case, but it's not a, you know, end of the world recruiting scenario that that Lincoln Riley is down there in LA now, but certainly a splash hire that I think is going to, you know, bring good things to the pack.
2: Well, Los Angeles, if you look at it, would be the number one football college football market in the country. And I say that because New York doesn't have college football and, and Dallas, you know, is, is another huge center with Texas and, You know, uh, all the other Texas schools around it, Uh, you know, Oklahoma, that's a hub. But Los Angeles has been neglected and it's the biggest media market in the country for college football. So it's time to get the program right in USC and and it'll make everybody else better. Because, you know, I grew up, USC was the kingpin. USC, you know, always had the best teams and always won all the recruiting battles and we're always in the, you know, competition for, for a national championship. And it's been, You know, 15 years now of really uh, a slumbering, uh, mediocre type offering out of of USC. And so I think it's time to fix it. And I I think when that happens, you know, it'll make everything much greater. And, you know, like when Oregon went in and beat Ohio State, everybody said, what a great win that was, because they were kind of surprised that it happened and and that a Pac-12 team went into Ohio State and won. Well, that needs to end. I mean, it, it, it needs to be now for Oregon or USC to go into Ohio State. When they beat them, it's like, yeah, we expected that. That We, we expected that could happen. So instead of being this little second-rate uh, conference, it's time to uh, turn things around. And Oregon's doing its part. USC needs to do its part. Same with Washington and uh, sign some deals here. And we'll see how this all turns out because I think, you know, I was complaining this year and I got the whole state of Montana mad at me. I said, Washington shouldn't play Montana in an opener anymore. And you, you should have seen the reaction I got to that. I mean, uh, I got more traffic on my website f- from writing that story than anything I've done all season. But the fact is, with the ra- the, the prices that they probably charge in Autzen and the prices they definitely charge in Husky Stadium, wouldn't you rather see Clemson or North Carolina come in and open up against the Ducks or the Huskies instead of Montana or, or Portland State? And, and so that's, 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 I think, where we're headed. And, and I'm excited by it because I think it's, you know, we've we've kind of neglected this for, for a long time with weak schedules and letting recruiting get out of the region and and, and just not being a, a national championship contender. So that's why I'm kind of fired up about it, but, you know, looking at the whole Pac-12 picture in general.
1: I'm fired up about it too. Well, we'll see what DeBoer can do on the recruiting trail. You know, you bring up that topic, uh, early signing period is – just about two weeks away, literally two weeks away from today. We're recording this on Wednesday, December 1st. Uh, so we'll, we'll see if, if he can drum up some more excitement. Uh, like we've said on the podcast, you know, the the Huskies have been able to, to bring some pretty talented guys uh, to Seattle and in, in years past. And that's obviously going to be a, it's got to be a big priority if he wants to turn this program around. Uh, Dan, that, I think that's a, uh, that'll do it for us here in this episode. Uh, you know, it was awesome having you on for the Oregon Washington preview and, Great to, to take advantage of the Sports Illustrated Network uh, to reach out to you and, and break this Huskies news down. I asked you uh, in the last time we recorded this, so I got to ask you again, where can people find more of your work if they want to read more about this Huskies hire and, and kind of everything that's going to follow this, uh, this DeBoer news?
2: Well, my, uh, my link is si.com slash college slash Washington. Uh, my last name is Rayleigh, R-A-L-E-Y, first name Dan. You can Google me. You can Google the network. You can hit the link. Um, you know, I'm all over Twitter and Facebook and and um, got it, my own Facebook website just for this, you know, for this Husky Maven site. So, yeah, we're easy to find. Easy to find.
1: Awesome. Well, make sure to go check out uh, all of Dan's great work over there at all the places he just mentioned. Oh,
2: and Max, let me mention too. Uh, yeah. I, another person and i are working on an oregon washington rivalry football book i'm not sure when we're going to get it done but we're well into it so for all your duck fans uh, this book is a straight up book for both sides it's not a uh, you know a husky point of view book on the rivalry it's my other writers uh, an oregon grad so uh we're, we're going to have a book that you know is a real keepsake with uh you know a complete rundown of the, the history of this rivalry
1: Definitely. I remember we talked about that uh, when we last chatted uh, on the the last uh, Ducks Dish podcast we did. So keep an eye out for that. I'm sure we'll, we'll uh, stay in touch about that, Dan, and get those uh, those details out when it's ready. So you know where to find Dan, if you want to find more of me, you can find me on Twitter at M sports. You can find a lot more of my work at uh, ducksdigest.com that's si.com slash college slash Oregon. And then go ahead and subscribe to my YouTube channel, Oregon football, Max Taurus. Uh, doing some more live streams over there. I want to give you, the fans, the opportunity to interact with me and and help kind of drive the storytelling because that uh, that's who I'm writing for. That's who I'm doing these videos and podcasts for. It's all for the fans. So really appreciate your guys' support. And then you can find uh, Ducks Digest on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Ducks Digest. That'll do it for another episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Big thanks to Dan for uh, hopping on the pod. And we will see you guys in the next episode.